This is the last sermon in a series um, on the book of Matthew. Um, we've been doing it off and on for about, well, years. And uh, this is also the last sermon in a series on the Great Commission. Now, those of you who are from Bible-believing churches or campus ministries know that the Great Commission is a uh, giving of orders of our Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples. The Great Commission is Jesus about to ascend up to heaven. He has been crucified. Then the third day, God raised him from the dead. He vindicated him. And then Jesus gathered his disciples, the 11 disciples. It wasn't to a huge group of people, but it was actually to the apostles. And he said what we read here to them. He said, 18 to 20, Jesus came up and spoke to them, the 11, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the book of Matthew points to this. The book of Acts starts with this. In fact, if you go to the book of Acts, you'll find that right at the beginning of the book of Acts, it has a repetition of this great commission. So he's our commanding officer. He is the head of the church, and he has given the officers of his church this command. Now, if there's one thing that we as evangelicals or Bible-believing Christians believe today, it's that we're faithful to the Great Commission. Until a few years ago, there was a church here in town called the Great Commission Church. And it was a church that said, we do the Great Commission. And so since we're all sure that we're evangelistic or what people call it today is missional, since we're all certain that we're missional, let's remind ourselves whether or not we actually are faithful to the Great Commission. Jesus spends three years with the disciples. He teaches them. He sends them out. He brings them back. He, he handles difficult problems when they're brought to him and they can't do it. Um, he dies, he's raised from the dead, and now he gives this commission to the officers of his church. Are we faithful to these commands? Well, we have seen over the past few weeks that the one thing we can absolutely say about the Great Commission is that nobody obeys it today. And generally, you can believe that whatever Scripture says, your heart and my heart are devious uh, sneaky, snaky uh, uh, animals trying to escape obedience to Scripture. You read the Ten Commandments, you don't come away from it saying, I knew I was doing something right. Right? You come away from it and you go, <laughs> all right. Well, when we come to the Great Commission, that's not the one part of Scripture that we obey and the Ten Commandments we don't. We don't obey the Great Commission. Now, how would I say that? Well, first of all, we've thrown out the fact that it's given to the 11 disciples. Look at verse 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded. And it's clear from the text. Jesus gave the Great Commission to the 11 disciples. But today, we've thrown out authority in the church, thrown out officers. Anybody can baptize. Anybody can take communion. Anybody can give communion. There's absolutely no authority in the church today. And we don't see any need for authority because authority generally is abusive. It's like the Pope. 
The whole point of being a Protestant is not having the Pope. And now you're telling me the Great Commission was given to 11 men? Men. I mean, the one thing we know today is men shouldn't have authority. You can't trust them with it. And so we're devious, snaky, viperish things trying to escape every command of Scripture, including the Great Commission. So it's given to the 11. We make it a general command to the whole church, indiscriminate, willy-nilly. But that's not who it's given to. It's given to the 11. You say, are you telling me I'm not supposed to share the gospel? And I say, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't share the gospel. What I'm saying is it was specifically given to the 11. And there is a special duty to make disciples, to teach them to obey, and to baptize that those 11 men had as apostles and that they then passed on to the officers. Because we read that Paul went from every city to city appointing elders. If you were here for the Sunday school class, Kevin taught you that from the book of Peter. So first of all, we have go therefore, and it's, it's predicated upon, in other words, the basis for us going is that all authority has been given to him. So we see it was given to the 11, the commission, and then it starts with all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Now, certainly evangelicals, Bible-believing people, missional people believe in the authority of Jesus Christ, right? Now, what we saw was none of us believe in the authority of Jesus Christ. What we believe in is inclusivity, diversity, pluralism, and separation of church and state. We don't believe Jesus has any authority except deep, deep, deep in my heart, deep in my heart. Don't come to me and tell me that any particular thing I'm doing is contrary to the commands of Jesus Christ because it's personal, it's private, and you're a legalist. That's what you use when they're getting really in your face. Call them a legalist. That'll shut them up. <laughs> right? But I submit to Jesus deep in my heart. Deep! <laughs> and Jesus' authority is when he comes again. But in the classroom and in the union hall and in my living room, my television, my computer screen... And, I mean, don't be a legalist. And in the halls of power in Indianapolis and in Washington, D.C., and, and separation of church and state, do, do you understand? We don't believe in the authority of Jesus Christ. We believe it'll come someday, and it's deep in my heart. But everywhere in between those, we turn into cowards who our whole goal is to fit in, to go along, to get along. There's nothing about us that proclaims the authority of Jesus Christ, except deep in your heart. You know, Jesus could be your friend. He has a wonderful plan for your life, a wonderful man for your plan. And so we privatize it and we futurize it, but it never is hated and if Jesus, the Jesus you and I proclaim were to come back today, nobody would bother crucifying him. You know, it used to be common to say, if you were tried for the crime of being a Christian, would there be any evidence to convict you in a court of law? But maybe a better way to ask it is, if Jesus was seen through you, would there be any evidence for him to be crucified? And so, again, 
It's given to the 11. We've just made it willy-nilly everybody. That's who the Great Commission's given to. There's no officers and no authority at stake with officers. And then it's given on the basis of his authority, and we have lightly given away the authority of Jesus, so it's privatized and it's futurized. But in between those two, it's nowhere. And those of you coming back, those of you at Ivy Tech, at IU, let me tell you, this is the whole goal. This is the curriculum. I don't care if you're in anthropology, the MBA program. I don't care what program you're in. I don't care what you're studying. That's the curriculum. That you privatize your faith and futurize it. And you learn to do it in such a way that nobody ever questions your integrity as a Christian. But it's a very private faith. It's your spiritual side. Do you understand that? And if you go along to get along, you'll fit in. You'll get your degree. You'll never be in jeopardy. You know, the diversity advocates will never be after you. But let me tell you something. The diversity advocates were always after the disciples. Because the disciples said what? The disciples said, here's our command. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And so the next step is it's given to the 11. It's based on the authority of Christ. Lewis says they'll tell you you can have your religion in private, and then they'll make sure you're never alone. All right? Don't go along to get along. You are put on the campus of Indiana University to be a witness. You said, well, it's just the 11. I say, no, it's everybody. He said, well, you just got done saying it's just the 11. I said, we have special responsibilities, but you haven't escaped. You are to be a witness on the campus. To what? To the authority of Jesus Christ. The authority in constitutional law? Absolutely. Why would the authority of Jesus Christ be absent from constitutional law? Why? The authority of accounting? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's great to have the authority of Jesus Christ in accounting because the whole point of accounting is to be suspicious that everybody's trying to do something that will get the money unfairly. And Christians believe in the fall. The authority of Jesus Christ over all of creation now. And you say, well, how far are you going to take that? And, <laughs> and you should know me well enough now to know that my response is, how far are you going to take it? <laughs> Anywhere? Just start, and then the Holy Spirit will show you how far to take it. But don't be surprised if you end up on a cross. Okay? Not because you want to, but because you refuse to be afraid of it. Because Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he said, therefore. So, because of his authority, which is universal, it's like extends 12, 15 billion light years, and it goes down to the deepest trench of the Pacific Ocean and into every back room in Washington, D.C., all right? Now, all right, because of that authority, therefore, go and make disciples. It doesn't say go and share the gospel. And you say, well, that's what sharing the gospel is. And I say, no, no, no. For a lot of people, sharing the gospel means precisely the opposite of making disciples. Sharing the gospel is making a pers personal statement about your faith that won't be offensive to the person that you're sharing it with and will cause them, because you're cheerful and because you have good things to say about Jesus, 
to start saying good things about Jesus themselves. That's not making disciples. Disciples die. Again, let me show this to you. This was not my father being hyperbolic. And he lived in a relatively good day compared to our day. This is 1970. This was given to me. And I was in high school, not college. This is your calling as a Christian. This is it. Right? Many of you here today, in a little while, are going to say that there aren't any decent men who are Christians, and so you're going to start dating a non-Christian. And then you won't show up at church for a couple of weeks. Then one of the women of the church will take you aside and say, should you really be dating that man? And then you'll say, well, you know, don't be rigid about this, you know. He, he says he's a Christian, and they'll say, but, but is there fruit? And you'll say, well, who am I to judge whether or not there's fruit? And then you will show up every four weeks. And then another woman, Titus II woman of the church, will come up to you and she'll say to you, I really fear for you. And you'll say, you guys are just so, what's the word? Um, come on, David. Invasive. That's not it. What is it? Meddling. Yeah, you guys meddle. And it'll be a sweet woman. A woman who has daughters herself. And then you won't show up for months. And then, guess what? We'll hear that you had an abortion, that you killed your unborn child. We'll hear that you got divorced. We'll hear that your husband divorced you. We'll hear that you're going to a liberal church that does not believe in the authority of Scripture. You know, just these little changes. Why? It's very simple. It's not complicated. You saw the cross and you said, that's not for me. You rejected the cost of discipleship. You rejected discipleship. You believed in Jesus, a very private Jesus. It's a faith journey that is um, a faith community, a faith tradition, um, a spiritual side, hmm. sharing the gospel, but not discipleship. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Authority now, here. My heart, my mouth, my hands, my car, authority, all right? In heaven and on earth, today, go therefore and make disciples. Don't share the gospel. Yes, that is a good thing to do as long as it's not a way of escaping making disciples and showing them the cost of discipleship. Make disciples of all men, of every nation. In other words, not just the sorority women or the frat dudes or the athletes or the business school people. Okay? Not just the Hutus, but the Tutsis. Do you understand? Why did all the disciples have a problem with Paul? They had a problem with him because he went to the Gentiles. There is a particular ethnicity about the gospel that it breaks. That's what a lot of the New Testament is about, is racism. All nations, the ones you don't like. Don't tell me that there aren't some ethnic groups you don't like. You're a liar. You're a liar. Everybody has groups they don't like. You know, blacks have groups they don't like, whites, Jews, Arabs, Lebanese. We had a good friend at seminary. 
She was Lebanese. Guess who she didn't like? It's just so shocking. I'm being facetious. She could not stand Jews. <laughs> and I'd always try to think, is she anti-Semitic? But it didn't seem to fit her. It just seemed to be sort of like this personal distaste she had. Nothing cosmic, nothing that would ever become bloody. But she couldn't stand Jews. And then you find out, guess what? The Lebanese go back to Palestinians, and all of a sudden you realize that Palestinians, many of them are Christians, and have been removed from their homeland by the Jews. <laughs> and then you begin to think, oh my, this is complicated. <laughs> right? Think of all of the snobbery in Asia between the different countries. Right? I once made the mistake of suggesting that a mo- that a Mongolian woman go to get counseling from a Chinese woman. And let me tell you, (laughs) I learned my lesson. She said, she spat it out in my pastor's office, basically. She said, I would rather go to a Russian. (laughs) That's actually what she said, you know. (laughs) Make disciples. That means submission, cross, cost of all nations. Is there a cost to all nations? Yes. There is a cost to Michael sitting in a white church right now. There is a cost. But he's committed to making disciples of honkies. Or in in Hawaii, they'd call us howlies. Right? Baptizing them. Well, who needs baptism today? I don't want people to think that I believe in baptismal regeneration. You know, I'm not Roman Catholic, so let's diminish the importance of baptism because really it's all between your heart and Jesus. Baptizing them. You know, Bible-believing churches across the country have people coming to the Lord's table and members who are not baptized. How do I know this? Because I became a pastor of such a church. It was filled with people who had never been baptized and were taking the Lord's Supper and were members of the church. And there are people who baptize, are baptized, but aren't under the submission of elders. Such a thing has never been heard of in church history. Never been heard of. But today, we're so obedient to the Great Commission that we go into all the world to preach the gospel, making disciples of all men, teaching them everything that Jesus taught. But if you know the Great Commission by heart, you know I just eviscerated it of any content that you wouldn't like. What it says is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, here we live in a place where Pentecostalism is often oneness Pentecostalism. And oneness Pentecostals don't believe in baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so there's been a movement in this community among pastors that I'm friends with or used to be friends with to just patch it over. And they began to hold worship services where they didn't bother drawing a divide between those who were Trinitarian and baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and those who refused to do it. How do I know this? Because I've talked to them. I know the man that wrote the statement of faith, and he told me he wrote the statement of faith without the Trinity so that the oneness Pentecostals could participate. And yet, the Great Commission says, baptizing them in the name of what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Evangelical churches, all of them. 
but they patched it over for the sake of union with those who deny the Trinity. Those who explicitly say that they think of the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as three modes of existence. And if you know anything about church history, you know that that's the heresy of modalism. And we're all together having worship services, praying together, and they refuse to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. All ethnicities. All right. Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them everything I have taught you. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? Teaching them everything I've taught you. Well, that's what evangelicals do. That's what missional people do. That's what Bible-believing people do. That's what parachurch groups do, is we teach them everything Jesus taught us. But that's not what it says. What it says is teaching them to obey. Well, you're a legalist. (laughs) Oh, okay. So you're telling me the word obey has to be removed from my vocabulary? I don't think so. Ain't going to do it. Jerry Clower, you know, I ain't going to do it. Why? Because the Bible says teaching them what? To obey all the doctrine I gave you. Is that what it says now? It says teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. That doesn't sound like the Jesus of Bible-believing churches today, does it? Command. That's the one thing never appears in pulpits today. It's the downloading of didactic instruction. You know, it's, it's like things that are true and helpful. But it's no commands. It's no commands, you know. Pastor Billy's a monster, you know. He commands us to do certain things. Listen, people, if I don't command you to do certain things, like flee sexual immorality, because all other sins are sins that aren't against the body, but sexual immorality is a sin against the body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If I don't command you to flee sexual immorality, if I don't command you to not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, if I don't command you to install some software on your computer to protect you from something you seem incapable of protecting yourself from, namely pornography, If I don't command you to have on your computer only songs that you've purchased or have some legal claim to own, who needs me? Who needs me? What good am I? It's like showing it up for dinner as a man and having your wife serve you quiche or soup. Who needs her? You know, here's an idea. Let's have me be helpful to your soul. Let's have me be helpful to your soul. Of some utility. You know, I haven't started being helpful to you until you resent me, you're angry at me, and you're blushing. Can you buy that? Does that make sense to you? Uh, you sure? I won't look at you anymore, I promise. 
Listen, we all know our Father loves us when. The book of Hebrews tells us when he disciplines us. So what is a pastor? He's a father. That's what he is. What are elders? They're fathers. They're fathers in the church. What is a Titus II woman? She's a father. You say, no, 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 got you there. I say, okay, a mother. She's no help to you until she rebukes you. Anybody can flatter you. It doesn't take any brains to do that. That's what all of Madison Avenue is built on. That's what the whole Bible-believing, money-making machine is built on. It's built on flattering you. You know, if you'll buy our book, then you can look pretty like this woman sitting at this pretty table next to this pretty curtain with this pretty mug of nice-tasting coffee having your quiet time in the morning. Just buy this book, and you will have your life together. No messy kids vomiting on your shoulder because... You will wait to have kids until you can afford them. And it all starts. And what is it about? Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash. New car, caviar, four-star daydream, Tyndale House publishers. And this is, this is the Great Commission? This is it? This is it? This is it? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all ethnicities, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I taught you. Now, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And so what you're going to see on the part of those making disciples of you is that they live under the authority of Scripture. And you're going to see a commandingness about their life, not to you, but from God to them. You're going to see them apologizing for sin, confessing sin. Because why? Because Jesus commanded, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Do you understand this? And then they're going to turn to you and say, now it's time for you to confess your faults. In fact, if you go to a small group this afternoon, which... We have about 90% of our people are in small groups. If you go to a small group, what you'll find is that in that small group, they will confess their sins to one another. And you say, no, 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 that doesn't happen. And I say, those of you who are leaders of small groups, I, in the name of Jesus, I command you to do that today. I command you. You go, whoa, sounds like something's going on there. Yeah, as a matter of fact, some people here have reported to me that in some small groups they can't conceive of having any time to confess their sins to one another. You see, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Now, let me ask a question. If this is the Great Commission, this, not sharing the gospel... Yes, sharing the gospel is a good thing to do as long as it doesn't remove discipleship and commands and authority and all those other things. If this is the Great Commission, then let me ask you a question. What will be your life? What will it be? What will it be? And now you know why my lesson for the children today was this. Because the Bible says that Jesus warned his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. 
For the man who wants to save his life will lose it. But the man who loses his life for my sake will find it. If you obey the Great Commission, your life will be a life of crosses. You'll have to say no to some men. Hot men. Rich hot men, if there's a difference. (laughs) You'll have to say no to some subjects in a dissertation. You'll have to decline certain jobs. In other words, you'll be the odd man out. And I'm speaking to those of you who are women using the inclusive male. But listen, did Jesus fit in? (laughs) Jesus didn't fit in. And so do you love him? Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Do you know how the Great Commission ends? It doesn't end with command. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It ends with promise. You know that song, who do you love? Who do you love? Who do you want to have with you? Want all the baubles of the world? Want to fit in? Go with the flow? Or do you want Jesus? Who do you want? You can't have them both. If you save your life, you'll lose it. But Jesus says if you lose your life for his sake, not my sake, not your mama's sake, but for his sake, then what? You'll find it. And there's a lot of losing you can do at IU if you're a Christian. It's glorious. I've watched many men and many women set themselves on fire at IU with the light of the gospel and the Great Commission. Some of them are here. That's what's in front of you as you come here. And if you're going to do it, you need to be at a church. Campus ministry is not enough because you need to have older men and older women and children and babies. Sometimes the only thing that will heal your heart is a baby in your arms. And I mean that for men and not just for women. Holding a baby is about the only thing that will comfort you after taking up your cross during the week. You need the preaching of the word, not just sharing You need the preaching of the word. You need to be wounded every week. You need the Lord's Supper, the sacraments. You need discipline. You need encouragement. So are you going to do it or not? When you turn your back on civic religion to the Lord of the universe and begin to live under his lordship, it's your parents that become your opponents. Because they want you to be a clean Christian who has no risk and lots of security. They have a wonderful plan for your life. And the Lordship of Jesus Christ blows it to smithereens. I mean, you know, think of Peter. Life was cushy, you know, he was living in Gloucester, fished off Cash's ledge. And then all of a sudden Jesus came and said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what about the dad? who had prepared the boat and the nets for this time for his son. Did you ever think of that? 
Jesus says he'll be with us, and I can testify to you this is true. And I do love Jesus in a very sinful and failing way. And that's about all you can hope for is that if you love Jesus and if you've lived the Great Commission, that you'll fail what? In the right direction. (laughs) That's the highest aspiration of the Christian. That you will fail in the right direction. I'll close with this. When you hit the ground tomorrow in your work, in the dorm room, in your classroom, everything will conspire to intimidate the heck out of you and to make you afraid. And you'll think, well, I can't do that. I mean, he's in his own church, private, you know, he can say anything he wants, but I'm out in the real world. And I want to warn you about something. No man can serve two masters and no man can fear two masters. You either hate the one and love the other or love the one and hate the other. No man can fear man and God. You can't do it. So if you fear your professor, if you fear your roommates, if you fear your parents, you will never fear God. But if you fear God, then you'll have unbelievable courage. But it won't be courage. It'll just be knowing which way to face when you fear. Because that's what courage is. Okay? Let's pray.